This is the ShakeOut Podcast. Welcome to the GOAT episode. My name is Michael Doyle, editor of Canadian Running Magazine, and with me I've got Sinead Mulhern. How you doing? Hi, Michael. And Tim Hubes. Happy to be here. Today on the show, we're just going to chat about two topics this week, because earlier we did have a uh, special Live from Boston episode uh, that we put out on Monday. If you've not listened to it, make sure to subscribe to us in iTunes and take a listen. Uh, the two topics this week are starting off hot on the heels of Boston is yet another major marathon, the London Marathon. Some are saying that this is uh, among the greatest fields ever assembled in the elite race, and it's one of the biggest races in the world with uh, over 30,000 people. We're going to talk about why you should get up at 5 in the morning if you live uh, in the Eastern Time Zone and watch the race, and how to follow along and what to watch out for. And in our second topic of the day, we're going to discuss some of our biggest mistakes that we've ever made in running, Tim, Sinead, and I and what we've done to remedy them and how you can avoid making the same mistakes that we did. So, the London Marathon is this weekend. It has been called the best field in marathon history, particularly the women's race. Um, although it is missing a few key athletes from uh, from the start line this year. Tim, first of all, do you think that this is the best uh, field ever assembled? And if so, why? If not, why? Well, London is only going to be six days after the Boston Marathon. So just because of the proximity of the two, you're not going to have all of the greatest runners in the world. They kind of, I guess, get split up between the two for the most part. But kind of looking at the field, seeing how many women are under 220, which is really the, I guess, kind of the world-class benchmark of women's marathoning. There's there's quite a few. There's uh, there's four. Um, and, then there's, and then there are two that are sitting at 220 as well. Right. Defending champions, world champions, uh, Olympic gold medalists in track events, debuts by Olympic champions, just a lot of like a lot of kind of really exciting names and a lot of names that if you're kind of really into the sport, you'll be familiar with, uh, mostly from Kenya and Ethiopia, as well as there'll be, um, some other athletes, including Canada's Krista Duchesne, which, uh, we'll definitely be tracking on Sunday morning. Sinead, Krista Duchesne is running. Uh, she is a, was a first time Olympian at 39 years old, uh, last year in Rio She's an interesting story. How do you think Krista's going to do? We have a video up, uh, an interview that we got 
from London from today. We'll put it in the show notes. How do you think Krista's going to do this weekend? Yeah, I'm excited to see Krista race. I think she is quite a tough and scrappy runner. Um, like you said, she uh, became an Olympian kind of later on. So, um, and she ran quite well last year. She also, we're talking about Rio and her performance there uh, representing Canada. Uh, she also ran Scotiabank last year uh, to be the first woman across the line. So, um, you know, I'm kind of hoping that for Krista, it's going to be kind of like triple, like adding a third uh, really great performance um, to her repertoire recently. Uh, I think she's going to race qu- quite well. I think she's a strong runner. I will uh, put everyone on the spot and ask them what time they think she's going to run uh, before we wrap this up. But uh, just to clarify, first Canadian woman to finish the Waterfront Marathon yeah. last fall. Yeah, in the elite field, yeah. So, uh, Tim, the men's race is highlighted, of course, by Kenanisa Bekele, one of the goats, one of the greatest of all time. If Kenny wins in London this year, uh, does that put him sort of neck and neck with the likes of Elia Kipchoge, who is not running? Well, I think he's already the greatest of all time when you combine all kind of aspects of athletics, including cross-country, track, and marathon running. Kipchoge has the... I think the crown for in terms of being the best marathoner uh, just because he's the Olympic champion. He doesn't hold the world record though. Neither does Bekele. Uh, Kometo does at 202.57, which both of these guys have kind of come within five or six seconds of. Um, So yeah, if he wins, that kind of just, I think, cements his his status. And especially if he breaks the world record, that will be, uh, I don't know, it'll be interesting, especially since Kipchoge's kind of going after the world record as part of that Nike uh, breaking two project that we touched upon a few ep- podcast episodes ago. I would be really curious to see what the opening pacing is going to be like. London has in the last few years had a tough time with the pacing, although last year and the year before were pretty, pretty good performances, but I wonder if they're going to go out in one Oh one thirty for the first half split, which would put them right around two hours and three minutes to attack the world record. Or if Bekele and company are going to say, eh, that's a little bit too spicy for me. I, you know, like, let's just make this more of a 204 race. Um, in terms of challengers, I, I got to think that the number one challenger is going to be uh, Faisa Lalisa of Ethiopia, who uh, famously won the silver medal in Rio last year. And, um, you know, I, I think, and also has had a really complicated, interesting story. Um, he uh, famously protested uh, the Ethiopian government at the Rio Olympics mm-hmm. and has since been living in the United States. He claims that he can't go back to Ethiopia out of fear for his life. So it should be interesting with him, especially going up against Bekele, who is really a, I mean, you, you interviewed him last year in Berlin, Tim, um, and he, he is much more uh, disinterested in politics and perhaps maybe uh, in favor of the government there. So that's sort of an interesting geopolitical sideline to this, to this race. But do you think that, uh, uh, Lisa is a, is a, um, is a legitimate, uh, challenger to, to Bekele? Well, he's been training and racing for the most part in the United States ever since Rio. He hasn't really looked, um, like the runner he was in Rio, maybe minus the New York city half, which he won, uh, in March. Keying off that performance alone, I think he's a challenger, but he also hasn't really, I don't think he's raced a quality marathon. I know he raced Honolulu uh, in the winter, but 
since Rio, he's kind of been uh, a bit of a wild card, I think. So, um, really, he is one of the the challengers. He's run under two hundred five, uh, one of only three guys to do so in this race. So, yeah, one of the Ethiopians, either him or one of the other um, guys in this really deep field. Yeah, I think really quickly we should we should mention that there are, and this is the the thing with the marathon, is that there are, there's there's always going to be some. Uh, uh, outsiders who are going to, or sort of dark horse picks who who could emerge. I mean, just looking at like Daniel Wenjeru, uh, who uh, who won Amsterdam last fall. He's run two hundred five. He could win. Um, you know, uh, uh, Girmay Gebrselassi, the Eritrean runner. He's never run over under two hundred seven, so he's quote unquote slow by london marathon standards but he knows how to win he's won new york he won the world championships a couple of years ago so he's a pretty scrappy guy um sinead uh, the this event starts at for east people on the eastern seaboard uh in north america this event starts really early in the morning like four or something in the morning the women start and then the five o'clock in the morning for for the men start Bright and early yeah actually dark and early yeah um <laughs> You, you know, you've you've covered and watched uh, races all around the world, marathons like, you know, uh, Tokyo, London in the past, Berlin, that have weirdo start times. Mm-hmm. Um, why should our readers uh, follow along? Why should they tune in? I think watching the elite runners, especially if you're a person who runs the marathon recreationally and we're getting into the spring racing season, so maybe you have something on your calendar. I think that watching people who are the best in the world at this sport is really motivating, really inspirational. Sure, it's an early morning, but once you're actually watching a marathon unfold, um, you start to get a sense of who the players are. The commentary is always kind of adds that extra context. Um, I would suggest tuning into social media. Like we always live tweet these races just in case you're thinking, okay, I don't know if I've researched these athletes well enough or I'm not too familiar. There's always ways to get Uh, additional background I think it is just probably the best way that you can draw motivation from other performances heading into your race season and like you said like there are three guys in the men's pack that are able to go under 205 in the women's there's four women who are able to crack the 220 so you know you really are watching the best of the best um and i really don't think that there's any better way to kind of get pumped up for whatever you've got on the calendar this spring i always run one hell of of a a long run on sunday after i've watched a race first thing in the morning (laughs) Yeah, yeah i don't know why i always do you know you're like you're watching their stride and you're sort of psyched up about running and You've got a lot to chat about with your running buddies uh, during the long run afterwards. Mm. I actually think that London's great because it sort of fits right in right when I wake up before a long run at 5 Mm a.m. And uh, I usually wake up like three hours beforehand, eat something and digest and drink a lot of fluid and that sort of thing. And then I go for a run at either 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. So I'll be up. I'm pretty sure I'm going to live tweet it. Tim, I know you're going to be up because you're racing in Montreal this weekend. So... You'll be up n- like a nervous Nelly watching this. Uh, at least the uh, at least the finish. I think the men's finish will probably be around seven a.m. Yeah, uh, women's I guess just before that. So even getting up at six thirty is that's pretty reasonable, I think, on a Sunday. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even if I guess you can't wake up for the start of the race, then the the finishing is obviously going to be the most exciting. 
So it will be live stream, streamed in North America. In Canada, it'll be behind a paywall. Uh, FlowTrack has it. You can tell I'm so excited about this. FlowTrack has it behind a paywall. So if you're a FlowTrack Pro subscriber, you'll be able to see it. Um, we'll be watching it. We're going to live tweet it. If you do not have a FlowTrack Pro subscription, you can follow along with us on Twitter at Canadian Running. And we'll also use the podcast as well, the podcasts uh, at Shakeout Podcast. Uh, uh, their t- our, tw- our Twitter as well. So follow along with us and um, quickly predictions before we move on. Sinead, who's winning the men's race? Who's winning the women's? Who's winning the rim- women's <clears throat> race? And then Krista Duchesne's time. Oh, okay. Um, so men's. I mean, Bekele is sort of the obvious go-to. You know, he is ranked. Uh, he has the best PB in the field. Ran well last year. Came in third. So I'm, it, like. I sort of want to say that it's going to be Bekele, but not to choose the obvious answer. I'm going to go with Abel Curry. Um, <laughs> so he has the fourth best time. He was also the winner of Chicago last year. Yes, has um, come back. So I think I'm going to not go with the obvious one. He's going to be the guy that I have my uh, my eye on. He does have a uh, marathon major title under his belt. Maybe he can get another one. Um in terms of the women's race, uh, there's two women that I'm really excited to watch. Um, seeming like just because we came off of Boston, which I'm thinking of as being the race of the debut, we had some really excellent debuts in Boston. Um, I'm watching Vivian Chariot make her marathon oh, yeah, debut. Good call. Um, I don't know if she's going to win it, but she does have a killer fast halftime, and she was the uh, second woman in that crazy 10,000-meter race in Rio last year. So regardless of what she's going to do, um, I have my eye on her just because I think it's exciting that she's this is her first crack at it. Um, but who's going to win it? I'm sort of leaning towards uh, Kip Legat. She's the third fastest in the field, uh, has cracked 220, Came third last year, um, was also the winner of Chicago. So I've just picked both Chicago <laughs> champions. Yeah. And then it would be cool to have another Kiplegat winner in a right, week. Right, because Kiplegat won last Just as a week. fun fact, right. not that that's why she's going to win it, but maybe, no. I don't know. And Krista Duchesne, is she going to be? Krista Duchesne, um, maybe around 230, 231, I don't know. It's a solid um, one. Yeah. It's a solid effort. Yeah, and I think it, she's going to, I think she will run strong, I think, uh, like I said earlier, I think she is a, a scrappy and uh, very determined person. So, Tim, it's going to be looks like it's going to be ideal weather in London for a fast one. Uh, it's a fast course. It's not as fast as Berlin, but it's close. Uh, do you, what do you think? Who do you think is going to win? Who, uh, men's, women's side, and what's um, Krista Duchesne's time going to be? For men, I'm going with uh, the Eritrean Gurmay Geber Selassie, who shares shares the same last name, though not spelt the same as Haile Geber Selassie. He's a world champion, uh, fourth in Rio, which is um, he was the second best finisher from Rio. That's going to be running London uh, behind Faisal Lalisa. So I like him in the men's race. I don't know; it's tough to say really with the times. Uh, he, like you said, is not the fastest, but I like that he's won these big, um, big situation marathons. Uh, for the women, I'm going to go with uh, Tigas Tufa. She won in 2015, came second last year behind, it should be noted, Jemima Sumgong, who recently tested positive for EPO, her A sample. So really, uh, I don't know. It, you could almost say she was a two-time winner, but she isn't. She came second last year. Um, 
And then for Krista Duchesne, she spent some time in Kenya this winter. Uh, I like yeah, that. First time ever. Yeah. I really like that ahead of uh, this race kind of going all in. So I think she's going to run around 229. Nice. That's a good time. Krista Duchesne has also switched coaches. This is her first um, big race that we're watching since she has changed over her training plan, which is just an interesting fact for people to keep in mind going in. Yeah, it can motivate you. It can kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of give you a fresh outlook on what you're doing. So I'm going to, um, okay, so with the men's race, I am going to pick, I'm going with Faisal Elisa to win. Uh, I was in New York for the half, and he looked really good. You know, I mean, on paper, it was right around 60 minutes, so that's a pretty solid time. But it showed fitness, and uh, I, I think he's going to win the men's race. I think Bekele is going to, I think he won't be very far behind, but I don't think he's going to have an A race. He had some issues in Dubai, and I wonder if he's 100% right now. Um, his agent, Joss Hermans, has been very cagey in London this week talking about it, so I wonder what's going on with that. Uh, for the women's race, I'm going to go kind of not off the board, but someone we've not yet mentioned. Uh, one of Speaking of goats, one of the all-time greats, uh, Taranish Dababa, is back. She ran a 220 debut in uh, in 2014. Then she took 2015 off uh, to give birth. Uh, so and she had an okay year last year. She won a bronze medal in the 10,000 meters. But she could be an extraordinary marathoner. She already is an extraordinary marathoner. Uh, and I think she's out for blood in this one. She has the best nickname in all of sports, the baby-faced killer. No, <laughs> baby-faced destroyer. Sorry, baby-faced destroyer. Even better That's than baby-faced killer. Name. Yeah. And uh, she's always been a favorite of mine. I think she is going to win it. And as far as Chris Duchesne goes, I like what you're both saying. I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to say she runs 229.45. Cool. All right. Bam. And uh, make sure to go to our show notes for all of our links about what we talked about in this segment. We'll put up a link to how you can watch live, how you can follow along the London Marathon on Sunday morning at 5-ish a.m. Eastern time, as well as our video interview with Krista Duchesne from London and uh, our men's and women's previews, which we're going to put up online today. In our final segment, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. We're going to talk about what some of our biggest mistakes have been thus far in our uh, running careers and how others can learn from our (laughs) screw-ups. I'm already laughing. I know. I've made made so many mistakes with running so far. There's lots of them. Yeah, there are many. And I I think this is great for everybody. I think this is great for for newer runners that are listening um, so that they can avoid the what are now obvious pitfalls from... Uh, our different vantage points here today. Uh, And I think we do have three different vantage points as well. You know, I'm in my mid-30s. I ran as a teenager, as a kid, as a teenager, and it was a very, like, kind of common story where, like, you know, I took 10 years off, and then I got back into it in my Mm -hmm. mid-20s when I started to get fat. So uh, (laughs) When I started to get fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, just when I started to notice that I was, uh, you know, not as fit as I wanted to be, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So... And now I've been running for about 10 years straight. And I made so many mistakes in the process. <laughs> and Tim's like a lifelong runner, uh, you know, has, has always been a good runner. Um, but good runners make all kinds of mistakes too. 
And Sinead, you're also a lifelong runner as well. Yeah. yeah. So um, it'd be interesting to hear what you've got to say. I'll start off the embarrassment. I'm going to talk about one of the very first mistakes I made when I came back to running uh, when I was 26, 11 years ago. And I started running again in Montreal, where I was living at the time. And all I would do every day is I would walk out the door, usually in the evening, um, and I would run 10K as hard as I could. Hmm. And I would do that four or five times a week. Oh and I, Yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. <laughs> Ouch. Like, a, like a, a time trial. I didn't have a GPS watch. I was just thinking back to when I was in high school. I was like, okay, like... I started off by thinking, can I crack 40 minutes in the 10K each time I go for a run? Which, mm-hmm. in retrospect, now, 10 years later, a much better runner than I was then. Uh, I very rare, rarely crack 40 minutes for a 10K mm-hmm. on any run except for when I'm racing. Uh, so that was a really stupid approach. <laughs> but I think a really common approach, not necessarily in terms of that time, but in terms of that attitude where you... you want to where people I think feel they need to run with a little bit of intensity when they run or they allow themselves to get intense as they run. Like you go out and you're like, okay, I'm just going to go run my easy five or 10 or 15, whatever kilometers you do a day. And you think to yourself, speed it up. Yeah. And you get like into it, especially if you're listening to music, which is a common pitfall. You listen to music and you sort of get lulled into this, uh, uh, well not lulled. You get lured into this, this kind of trance and intensity and like running fast is fun. So But anyway, that was a huge mistake racing I made. Racing four times a week. <laughs> Essentially, I was racing or at least doing a tempo run four times a week and nothing else. So lesson I can take away from that and I can, um, uh, I can bestow upon all of our listeners is something called periodization and creating kind of a mm-hmm. ebbs and flow in your training. It's not a linear progression. You've got to go, you've got to have easy days and then you got to have workout days. I only recommend maybe doing one workout a week, maybe two tops and at least giving yourself one to two days rest in between each for sure. And a long run is a version of a workout. So you've got to give yourself rest. Yeah. So if you're, you're probably running too fast on your easy days, that's what I would say to like the vast majority of our listeners. You're probably running too fast. So there's no such thing as too slow on an easy day, although Tim may disagree with me. Tim, <laughs> what is your first mistake that you would like to talk about? Probably expecting significant results way too soon after starting running, either for the first time or starting back after kind of a significant time off. Uh, two kind of occasions kind of stick out with me, both having taken more than half a year off on both um, instances, either because of injury or like motivational issues. Uh, Almost immediately I was doing like maybe five minute runs, 10 minute runs after this time. And then really, I think you need to kind of wait three to four weeks of consistent running to actually enjoy it, like finish a run, even an easy run and actually like feel like you aren't exhausted. Like on a, after like, a few weeks if you are getting in kind of 30 minutes to an hour, um, maybe even every other day, you'll actually start to like enjoy running. Like you can kind of, it won't be like a daily kind of chore. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my uh, recommendation Yeah, part or of the mistake. S- part of the secret is, is that like as we develop a bit of fitness, the whole thing becomes a heck of a lot more enjoyable. Like, you know, whenever you talk to somebody and they're like, 
oh man, you run. I hate running. It's like, yeah. no, you don't hate running. You, you hate not being in shape. Mm-hmm. You hate, yeah. you don't, you don't like, you got to give running a You hate the chance. feeling of getting back into shape. Yeah. And, and yeah. how running is the vehicle to do that. So you automatically feel that you hate running. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I hate that version of running too, but I also know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I know Tim, you've taken time off and even in the recent past and, uh, but then you get back on the horse, right? And it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. You, just, you know, you just have to kind of like, uh, um, you know, uh, tether your expectations initially. Sinead, what do you got? I have two. I have yes. two big mistakes that I can think of that I have made. Um, one is a more recent error. Uh, a couple of years ago, I don't even know why I did this against all better judgment. I went for a trail run. I did like 16K on the trail. Mm. It was late winter, so it was like spring conditions. Water was melting. I was basically running through just like a slush bucket for 16K. And I, the thing that I did, I didn't bring any sort of like fueling. I didn't eat enough beforehand. Um, I didn't eat soon enough beforehand. So I was out on the trail. I also didn't have extra cash in case I needed to like hop on the subway or get home or whatever. So I had like 15 or 16 K, um, that I did and just like miserable, really, really icy conditions, no food, maybe about halfway out. It was like doing out and back. And after I finished the first stretch, I was just like super, super hungry and I had to turn around. It just ruined my run being under fueled. And I kind of finished like in a really bad mood. The last half of it was awful. I was just like running through these gross icy conditions i don't even know why i thought it would be fun to go on the trail in that weather but i did and just uh it was i finished like really weak and faint and dizzy and it was just it was just a dumb mistake um so yeah wouldn't wouldn't recommend doing that yeah so i mean i guess part of that mistake is that you underestimated just the how grueling the conditions yes. like your footing and how it took th- me so long to, yeah. Cause it's like, it's not just a 16 K run. Yeah. It's like a 16 K <laughs> run that feels like a 25 K run yeah. just because of the on trail and, yeah. and slush. Like, why would I, why did I want to do that with my day? I don't know. <laughs> well, lessons learned. It's gross. Uh, I'll, I've, I've got one more as well. We are each going to do two today. So I've got, um, Oh man, this is a mistake I still make all the time. I make it in front of both of you on a daily basis in the afternoon, which is like giving in to my awful, awful snack craving at like three o'clock when I know I'm yes. going to go for a hearty 10 mile run at five or five thirty, And just my, my tummy does not like that. And <laughs> it's like think, the opposite of what I just said. Like, I think the number, yeah, <laughs> You're exa- like, I eat all the food. <laughs> I, eat, I eat all the food. I eat everything far too often. I eat like seven times a day. Now, and <laughs> timing your food is a, it's definitely an art and a science combined. It's something that you have to learn. It's something that's very specific to you. It's something you have to kind of like figure out for yourself. It's one of the number one questions mm-hmm. we get at the magazine from newer runners. Who are like, I, how do you, I don't understand fueling. I don't understand what to eat before running. Should I eat something during a run? Do I, what do I eat after a run so that I don't feel awful the next day? Uh, one mistake I make all the time is feeling this like weird hunger pain, pang as most do in the middle of the afternoon and then sort of like totally giving in to that mm-hmm. and then paying for it in the most, you know, 
atrocious, atrocious, way. embarrassing ways later on. Um, you know, waddling to a public washroom somewhere later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I said this was the All the details. This was the embarrassing mistakes uh, 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 t- topic. So, um, yeah, I just you got to fight that. I especially if you're going to do something strenuous like a workout because that is harder on your stomach. Yeah. Uh, and even that. in the even in the morning, even when I like I do a morning run and um, I've eaten a decent meal the night before and as long as I'm wake up and I feel relatively hydrated, I just I don't skip breakfast. I eat it after I come back from a run. It's it's I think if you're running under like your 16k run you're talking about before, mm-hmm. it was probably more than 80 minutes. I think if you're running oh, yeah. under 80 minutes, um don't you don't really need to yeah worry too yeah. too much that's about true. fueling uh you know make sure you're a bit you're hydrated but that's about it but uh over 80 minutes for sure you have to start thinking about strategies yeah tim this one took me a long time to figure out it was actually what i was doing when i wasn't running it uh, like i i've had quite a lot of issues with shin splints which i'm sure a lot of runners have yeah. had in the past mm-hmm. i always figured oh like what shoes am I wearing? Like when I'm running, like why do I keep getting shin splints and stuff? And it was actually the shoes that I was wearing when I wasn't running, which was like basic, like flat sold, like casual shoes. Um, I did that for years in university and stuff. And that like, actually when I changed over to more, basically the, the, the jean and jeans and running shoes look, um, it actually paid off. Uh, I haven't really had any sort of shin splint issues in years now. And I think it's mostly because, of what the stuff people tend to do away from running, really. 2014 Boston Marathon, I was supposed to run. I had qualified. I really wanted to run it. It was a really important year for obvious reasons. I'd been there the year before. Uh, it was a pretty emotional thing for me. And I got super nervous like a week out. I was tapering. I just got in my own head. I decided to go for a walk with my dog in a pair of blunt, like old Bluntstones. I love Bluntstones, but they were really old and worn out. And I walked. 10 miles i walked 16k (laughs) (laughs) and and i injured myself and like i tried to run like the next day and i like that one coming to you oh man and i didn't run i wasn't able to run boston i like i tore a calf muscle i was just like i was telling myself like i'm fine and totally you're right you're absolutely right what you wear on your feet and you know how much you sit and your posture and all these sorts of things when all these elements of non-running of your your life outside of running definitely affect your running um so be wary of the flat shoes yes Sinead second one yep my second one's weird um so we have a story that is up on the website this week written by Kelly Bouchard who wrote about something dumb that he used to do as a child and it got me thinking at first I was thinking wow you're a pretty intense kid um, he took himself really seriously uh, in his races. And then I remembered I was pretty intense as a kid, too. I took my training way too seriously. It was really competitive. I have an older brother who is six years older than me. And when I was like 10 years old, my brother convinced me that drinking raw eggs was like the best way to get your protein and it makes you the best athlete ever. And that if I committed to drinking raw eggs, I was going to win everything and just be super amazing. Like Rocky. You were going to be like Rocky. Yes. Yeah. So he convinced me that that was the way I was going to win all my races. So like I (laughs) actually 
would crack raw eggs into a glass like 10 years old i just like chug raw eggs dumbest uh. thing ever like <laughs> i don't know my parents clearly had no idea what i was doing it was just if you have an older brother don't believe anything he says Definitely that does don't. sound like a great, de- great. Way it was probably so entertaining yeah. for him. He was like sixteen or seventeen, just like haha. My little sister drinking these eggs thinks she's gonna win track, but you know, don't recommend drinking raw eggs. Speaking of fueling, also so don't listen to your older brother. Don't listen to your older brother. Basically, <laughs> don't do anything <laughs> stupid so with your weird. diet. Yeah, yeah. If it sounds crazy, it is crazy. If it tastes gross, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That is the the takeaway. That is the takeaway. All right. Now it's time for our one weekly recommendation. Sinead, what is your recommendation to our listeners this week? Saucony has a new athleisure line that's out. Uh, We have a story about it on our website. I think their stuff looks really cool. Specifically, the... uh, I got to test the women's apparel uh, specifically the blue saucony running t-shirt it's got a kind of like interesting crochet uh look on the back um and it's just light and airy and it feels nice to to wear after the workout um i think i think their stuff feels really nice so yeah saucony athleisure line tim i was going to give a shout out also to saucony then the kinvara eight uh but alternatively i'll give a shout out to a brooks shoe the brooks glycerin um, tested it out in the winter. I'd say it was probably one of the best neutral cushion shoes that I've run in so far. So highly recommend that. Mm, that's a good one. I am going to recommend, and we'll stick with the, I'll stay on the gear train. I'm going to recommend a pretty special, uh, piece of gear, especially cause it's springtime right now. Um, we're seeing a lot of rain across the country and it can be it can be kind of cold but then the you know the temperatures are difficult to predict in the springtime but it is nice to wear a jacket there are very few running jackets that truly do both uh repel water and allow heat to dissipate uh so it's kind of a near impossible thing to find a great uh all-weather like a rain uh, rain jacket for running and I have found one, and it is the the Arcteryx Norvan SL. Hmm. I love this jacket. It is crazy expensive. It's four hundred Canadian dollars. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's crazy expensive. It doesn't even have a pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but I recommend it. But I recommend it. Anyway. But I recommend it because it's like one of the only jackets I've ever worn that that I that doesn't feel like a garbage bag when you start sweating, and also when it rains, it doesn't get all soppy yeah. and weird and, and gross feeling uh, it's because it's got the thinnest version of Gore-Tex that the brand oh, that cool. Gore-Tex makes that's pretty cool it has not torn I've worn it for well over a year now I've worn it with a backpack run commuting up in the forest I've gotten my arms snagged on tree branches and I've fallen in it it's not torn um, and it's uh, it's still super waterproof and it actually doesn't feel like a garbage bag. It's amazing. Mm. And it looks good too. It's a great jacket. I mean, Arcteryx, all their stuff looks awesome. Yeah. But um, they have the aesthetics down. They I definitely feel. have the aesthetics nailed. And uh, just like your friends over at Saucony are getting their aesthetics nailed yes. too. So, yeah, it, uh, it's a great jacket. I highly recommend it. If you have the money, it's, I understand, it's a lot of money for a jacket. But yes. it's, one of the thing, it's one of those things I've tested that I think is worth it. Nice. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. you.
For today's show notes, make sure to go to runningmagazine.ca. Follow us on Twitter and, and Instagram at Shakeout Podcast. And also make sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the shakeout podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes at the shakeout podcast. Thanks.